We're going to read the Bible now, and today we're reading from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 to 20. There's plenty of Bibles on the back table if you'd like one to follow along. Hebrews chapter 6 from verse 9. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end, so that what you hope for may be fully realised. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that, by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. I'm sure that most of us would agree that presently we are facing difficult days. Um, there's a lot of distressing and depressing news around. Just in recent weeks, I've, I can count a number of people who've said to me they've basically given up on watching the news. Um, they just find it too depressing. If it isn't heartbreaking scenes of war in Ukraine, or floods in New South Wales or Queensland. It's about soaring house or petrol prices, the crisis in our health system, the looming mental health crisis, uh, horrible cases of domestic violence or murder. Um, and if it isn't that, it's all about arrangements for Shane Warne's body to come back home, which has now happened. Many people are struggling to maintain hope and a sense of purpose in life. And we still have all the stuff of daily life to contend with, don't we? Going down, you know, going to work, paying bills and um, handling flat tyres, sick children up all night, all kinds of things that um, making appointments, the sun rises, the sun sets, days go by, life goes on. So today I want us to look at Hebrews 6. This passage that we just heard read contains an astonishing ground of hope so that we can have hearts of hope. How do you maintain a heart of hope when so much that's around you is depressing, discouraging or just plain not helpful. 
Let's ask God's help as we look at Hebrews 6 today. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that you are the God of all comfort and hope. We heard that last week from Carl, from 2 Corinthians 1. And Father, we ask that you would really seal within our hearts this morning the hope that we have that is guaranteed to us by a God who cannot lie here in Hebrews 6. Lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. Magnify his name in our hearts. May we see with fresh eyes and hear the hope of the gospel with fresh ears today. For Christ's sake. Amen. Apparently, uh, Hebrews is most likely to have been a sermon. It's probably a written sermon. So we know that in chapter 13, verse 22, it's described as a word of exhortation. And if so, then this book gives us a glimpse into a first century sermon inspired by the Holy Spirit. I wish I could say that I was inspired by the Holy Spirit and could speak with that kind of authority. Hebrews is an important book because it explains the Old Testament to us in ways that are expansive and thorough and deep, more than we find in any other book in the New Testament. It's also full of warnings, which you do find in sermons. People need to be warned as well as encouraged, stirred up to lay hold of the hope that we have. So it warns particularly about what Diedrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. Grace that tries to take hold of God's forgiveness but still holds on to our own ways and our own sinful perspective. So it challenges us to make sure that we don't just hear about Jesus but we receive him, actually receive him into our hearts by faith and we stand on him and persevere to the very end. So today's passage from Hebrews 6 basically picks up about halfway through this first century sermon. After explaining about the wonderful hope, the wonderful Sabbath rest that is ours for true believers in Christ, that he is our high priest and those who trust in him enter into that rest and about the urging to lay hold of the grace that God has given us in his son and press on towards full maturity and not be like children but to know the ways of God. Hebrews 6 from verse 9 picks up straight after that word of exhortation, that, that challenge. And it's urging us to be confident in God. The God who promised is faithful. So our reading in verse 9 puts it this way. It says, uh, remember it's just been saying about those that, that fall away, that don't persevere to the end. But he says in verse 9, even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, 
the things that have to do with salvation. So he can see the unmistakable signs of the ministry of the Holy Spirit at work in the hearts of these people. And he can say, yes, we're convinced of better things. We can see salvation bubbling forth in your lives. And we're encouraged by that. And then he says something that each of us really ought to take to heart. He says this, God will not forget your work and the love you have shown him. God will not forget your work and the love you have shown him, verse 10. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. So he's saying, God notices what you're doing. God can see your faith. God can see the reality that's bubbling forth. It's the fruit of his spirit that is coming up. And he takes delight in that. He notices that. We have to hang on to this. If we're to have a heart of hope, we have to believe what Hebrews 11 says about faith. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That, that without faith it's impossible to please God. But those who come to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. God remembered his people time and time again. For every phrase we read in the Old Testament, his people turned away. They forgot his word. They forgot his promises. We read, God remembers his people. I will not forget them, says the Lord. Years ago, I visited an elderly couple in Toowoomba. They had a a really large picture of their son in his sailor's uniform on the wall. And I asked them, obviously, um, who the person was, and they explained that it was their son. And I said, oh, um, can you tell me about your son? And immediately they started to tear up. And they explained to me that he was one of 82 sailors who died when the aircraft carrier HMAS Melbourne sliced through the destroyer HMAS Voyager. They explained how on the night of the 10th of February 1964, Voyager and the aircraft carrier HMAS Melbourne were conducting nighttime exercises and the Voyager inexplicably turned straight in front of the Melbourne. And the Melbourne aircraft carrier cannot stop on a five-cent piece. And it just went clear through the ship. And 82 on board died, including their son. The captain went down with the ship. There were two royal commissions into it. And eventually they found the, the only reason they could come up with for this happening was the incompetence of the captain of the Voyager. Now, what hurt this couple so much was that their son did not die defending his country. He died at the hands of his own captain who made a catastrophic decision 
to turn the boat the wrong way. And you can imagine if this couple, I imagine they've gone to their graves now, they were quite elderly back in the 1980s when I visited them. If they went to their graves always remembering their son with a picture on their walls never forgetting how much more will God not forget his people who turn to him, who hope in him, who ground their hopes in his promises, like it says here. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We have to take this to heart and believe it. So let this sink into us deeply. If we're to have a heart of hope, the Lord will rescue us from every calamity that we face. Think of how many times God remembered his people. Think of, for instance, the two midwives in in Exodus 1. When Pharaoh had said every firstborn uh, male child is is to be killed, don't let them live, and they disobeyed Pharaoh, listen to what it says. So God was kind to the midwives... And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. What is that if it isn't God remembering his people? God did not forget their work and the love they had showed him. Near the end of his life, filled with much suffering, Paul could say this. He knew that God would not forget him. He said, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. 2 Timothy 4. So we need to let these words sink deeply into us. If we are born-again people in whom the spirit of the living God dwells, God will not forget our work and our labour of love for him. He will not forget us. If your friends or members of your family or work colleague or a neighbour questions your faith or you might even be tempted to, to doubt and question things for yourself, particularly if you're rushing around to get off to Leaf Youth or to get off to Growth Group and you're thinking, oh, it's all such a rush, I'm so tired, God will not forget your work. The labour of love that you do in his name. Perhaps you've been praying for a non-Christian friend and you might feel deflated because you organised a morning tea and you baked a special cake for this friend you know that they like and you invited them over and you're, you're... Prayerful intention was to share the gospel with them. But that morning, the conversation went everywhere except to the gospel. And you feel deflated. Or maybe they didn't even show. Maybe something, a better offer came up and they they just didn't come. And you feel discouraged. 
God sees and knows your heart. He knows your work. He knows your labour of love in his name. He knows your intention and desire to share the love of his son. He will not forget you. Jesus reminds us, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him. So by the grace of God, we pick ourselves up and we shrug off any thoughts of discouragement and giving up and we do what verses 11 and 12 urge us to do. See what it says. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realised. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. So we press on because we don't want to cultivate a habit of laziness. And we know that he who promised is faithful and will do it. We know that he sees what we do in his name. And so God, by his spirit, is fueling energy into us to stand on his promises and to claim them. But the next part of this chapter, verses 13 through to 20, drill down into why the gospel gives us this confidence. So it starts to drill down beyond the hope that we have in God to the grounds for our hope in God. So under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the writer of Hebrews takes us back to that covenant promise to Abraham, through whom all the nations on earth are now being blessed, just as God promised in Genesis. We just heard about 75 People in India, in amongst the Beale people, have come to faith in Jesus just in February. People from every tongue and tribe and nation, God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham that in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. In China, hundreds and hundreds of people are turning to Christ through house churches. Many people are coming to faith in different parts all around the world from every tongue and tribe and nation. God is keeping his word. So he urges us to look back to Abraham in order to make us look up to the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who keeps his word. And he reminds us of this, and this is the second thing. God's faithfulness to his promise to Abraham. God's faithfulness. So verses 13 to 15 take us back to Abraham's example of obedience when he offered up his son Isaac or he's willing to offer up Isaac on Mount Moriah. Abraham is one of the primary examples of faith listed in Hebrews 11. And faith is that confidence of what we hope for, that assurance of what we do not see. And God had told Abraham to go up on Mount Moriah and offer up his son, his only son. And yet Isaac was the very son that was promised 
So the son that was promised, he's now told to take up and offer as a sacrifice to God, even though human sacrifice was explicitly forbidden amongst the Israelites, he unmistakably knew that God was calling him to do it. And as he's lifting up the knife to stab his son and kill him, the Lord, the angel of the Lord says, no, stop. And he finds a ram caught by its horns in a thicket behind him. And he offers up the ram instead. Abraham was a patient man of faith. I just want us to think about a few facts about Abraham. We're told in verse 15, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Now, chapter 12, he's promised he'll become the father of a multitude. All nations on earth will be blessed through him. We're told here that he received what was promised. But listen to what we know from scripture about what the case actually was when Abraham died. Isaac was born 25 years after God made the promise to Abraham. He was 75 And 25 years later, when he's 100, Isaac arrives. It would be a further 60 years before Abraham had, uh, sorry, Isaac had children. Now take that on board. He's 160 before he becomes a grandfather. I was a grandfather before I was 60. He's 160 before he becomes a grandfather. And God has promised him, in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He dies at 175, so none of his grandchildren could be older than 15. He did not even become a great-grandfather at 175. Most people who become great-grandparents have done so by the age of 75 and some a lot earlier than that. Abraham persevered, believing the promise. Jesus said, he saw my day. He saw it and was glad. We must be careful not to impose our own time frame and our own expectations on the promises of God. Isaiah 55 reminds us God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We may or may not live to see the return of Christ. But Jesus is coming. God has promised that. We may or may not get to see the answer to some of our prayers. But God is faithful and hears and will answer our prayers. Many of Abraham's prayers were answered after he died. Jesus prayed in John 17 for those who would believe in him through the word of his disciples, and then he died. He was around for another 40 days. On the 50th day, he then ascends to heaven. But to this day, the unfolding of that prayer is happening in fulfilment of the promise to Abraham that he knew all the families of the earth would be blessed. 
You and I are here today in fulfilment of that promise. He who promised is faithful and will do it. To have a heart of hope, we must think beyond ourselves and our own expectations of what we think makes sense or what might be a good time frame for God to act. God wants to anchor our faith not to our own ideas and expectations but to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross who rules over the world from heaven above as God's appointed king. So in verses 16 to 20, the writer of Hebrews wants us to see beyond the amazing patience of Abraham to the surpassing grace of God who made Abraham so patient. He wants us to know that, and here's the third thing, we are anchored to Jesus Christ forever. He is the anchor of our soul. So let me read what the angel of the Lord said to Abraham in Genesis 22. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possessions of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Now with his physical eyes, Abraham only got to see his his grandchildren. But God could see what he would accomplish through his purposes and his own faithfulness in sending Jesus. Now think of the wording that we're told here. People swear, verse 16 it says, by someone greater than themselves and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. So in courts of law we take an oath on the Bible. We swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. We swear by someone greater than ourselves. But what if you're the top of the food chain, like God is? Who does God swear by when there is no one greater than himself? He swears by himself because there's no one greater. So God, the Father, swears by his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we're told it's the angel of the Lord appeared. The angel of the Lord spoke and said, I will do this, I will do this. The father is swearing by his son that by two unbreakable promises in which it's impossible for God to lie, he who promised will do it. God is faithful. He cannot lie. So when he utters his promise and he confirms it with an oath, he's doing this by two absolutely unchangeable things, a promise and an oath. So God cannot lie, so when he makes a promise, 
It's sure and certain. Then he swears by himself to be true to what he's promised. He makes an oath. He confirms it with an oath. So it's doubly secured. And we're told that he did it so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, verse 18, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. Greatly encouraged. The Holy Spirit is taking the point about Abraham's faith right up to the source where Jesus is now seated at the Father's right hand. He uses imagery from the temple. We have this anchor as a hope for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. But he's referring to the heavenly temple, not the earthly one, where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. Jesus, who shed his blood on the cross, is now seated in glory at the Father's right hand. We know what the high priests did. They would take that blood and they would come through the holy place and through the curtain, which we're told is, is through his flesh, and they would, they would take it into the holy place, where the most holy place, where the Ark of the Covenant was and sprinkle the blood on that Ark of the Covenant. Now we know that Je what Jesus meant when he said on the cross, it is finished. Because the night before, he took a cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for the fulfilment of all. Jesus is the answer to the promises of God. He's the yes and the amen to God's promises. All God's promises are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So I want us to think about that. The promise to send the offspring of the woman in Genesis 3.15 Jesus. His covenant with Noah, who found grace and was told, never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. And we've just had some terrible floods, but not 40 days and 40 nights which the windows of the heavens open and the fountains of the deep broke open. Never again will God flood the whole earth. He who promised is faithful. My brother in Brisbane has a rain gauge. He had 625 millimetres in three days. But that, that didn't flood his house. He was okay. When God gave the flood on the earth, it flooded all the known world and all human beings perished except Noah and the animals that came in with him into the ark and God made an agreement to never again destroy mankind or all of the animals by a flood. 
the covenant of circumcision with Abraham that we've been thinking about, to make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. I don't know how many Christians there are on the earth or have ever existed, but there's a lot. We just saw a picture of stars in the sky and we were told and reminded most of them we can't see. How great is our God to keep his promises. The promise to Moses to send a prophet who would keep God's holy law perfectly and teach the people God's ways, Exodus 24 and Deuteronomy 18. Jesus is the fulfilment. He's the prophet. The covenant with David to set one of his descendants on an eternal throne. Jesus is the son of David. He's the fulfilment of all of the law of God and the promises to Abraham. So verse 19 describes our covenant-keeping, promise-fulfilling God as an anchor for our soul. The one who is higher than the heavens, to whom we are tethered and nothing can break that tie. The spirit of Jesus dwells in us. He ascended to the right hand of the Father and on the day of the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out. And that is an unbreakable bond between Jesus and his people. If the Spirit of Christ dwells in us, if the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us, then God will raise our mortal bodies at the last day. And we shall stand before him, complete and entire. We flee to Christ from all other comforts, all other supports, like a child running from a vicious dog. We give up our hope and our confidence in, in our nation's armies or in our scientists and their vaccines. These things can be helpful, but they cannot save us in the ultimate sense. Vain is the hope of an army to deliver you. But Jesus Christ has delivered us from the wrath to come. We will not go to hell. We will be with the Lord forever. Now, during the recent flooding in Brisbane, some of you might have seen the footage of a pontoon floating down the river with a 150-tonne crane on it. I was astonished looking at this footage. And it's lurching around. It had broken its moorings. I'm sure those who, who moored that crane were confident it, it would withstand anything. But it didn't. And it wasn't even a flood as big as Noah's. God has said that he has made an unbreakable tie Sealed with the blood of his son, it's impossible for him to lie. He's made a promise, confirmed it by himself with an oath, and sealed it with the blood of his son on the cross who said, it is finished. What more can we ask for? God has kept his word. And when I saw that, the footage of the pontoon with a 150-ton crane floating down the Brisbane River... I thought of the words of this old hymn. Will your anchor hold in the storms of life when the clouds unfold their wings of strife? 
When the strong tides lift and the cables strain, will your anchor drift or firm remain? We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure where the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Saviour's love. It will firmly hold in the floods of death. When the water's cold, chill our latest breath. On the rising tide it can never fail, while our hopes abide within the veil. It's based on these very verses. Within the veil. Jesus has already entered in. And God has made another promise. That he will send his son back one day. He will come. So these are reassuring and heart-challenging words to us. Are we grounded firm and deep in the Saviour's love? When the strong tides lift and the cables strain, the trials threaten to break your mooring to Christ, and once in a hundred year events happen, and they happen every second year, and you're threatened to think, what is going on? Don't forget God and his promises fulfilled in it is finished, his son, who is seated at the right hand of God. Don't forget how many thousands and thousands of children of Abraham are being reborn through faith in Jesus Christ around the world. God is keeping his promises. And when you go through those difficulties and you're up with a crying child or you, you, you have a, a diagnosis of cancer or a diagnosis for your child or your grandchild that, that's just plain horrible and you're tempted to think, God, what is going on here? Have a heart of hope that's grounded in the gospel, that looks to the Lord Jesus Christ and realise again your time frame is not God time, God's time frame. His ways are higher than yours. 25 years for Abraham and then 100 before he even got to see a grandchild. Are you convinced in your heart of hearts that God will not let you down in the depths of discouragement? Do you believe God will not send you to hell? That he has redeemed you by the blood of his son if your faith is truly in his son? Think of what he has endured on our behalf. Verse 20, where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He is already there, the forerunner. It's already happened. Where we're going to, he already is. God has promised it. He has become, not will become, a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So our hearts fill with hope because God will not forget our labours of love that we show on account of his son. And one day we will be with him in glory. Our hearts fill with hope because God's father heart of love has been poured out on us 
through the blood of Christ and the spirit of Christ has taken up residence in us and will forever unite us to Christ unbreakably. Not even death can break that bond and I'll raise them up at the last day. After waiting patiently, Abraham received. We have to wait patiently and we will receive. We can sing forever in the sure confidence of God's grace. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, I stand. Have a heart of hope in Jesus. Let's pray. Our God and Father, help us to look beyond the news, beyond the wrinkles in our own bodies, beyond the weakness of our flesh, beyond the vain promises of politicians looking for re-election, beyond the hope of our army, beyond the ingenuity of scientists. Help us to look to you. Help us to understand, Father, what we're told in this passage that could not possibly be more plain to us. That you cannot lie and you've promised and sworn with an oath by yourself that you will do it. And then we have 27 books in the New Testament telling us what you've done recording the words of Jesus that it is finished. We have the words of our Saviour recorded for us, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Will you please fill our hearts with hope, true hope, lasting hope, eternal hope, grounded firm and deep in the Saviour's love. In whose name we pray. Amen.